Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of The Other Hand. Uh, this is another special podcast with journalist Nathan Johns of the Irish Times. And we are here to discuss, as we did last time, all things rugby. And of course, it's the week that's in it. It's the week uh, after the uh, epic battle in the Aviva Stadium between Leinster and La Rochelle, the classic one-point game, the classic game of fine margins. I want to talk about that game and anything that Nathan has to say, of course, will be um, listened to very carefully. It's been great. We've had lots of requests coming in for people for this special podcast, which is nice. Thanks very much for those. Uh, I hope we live up to expectations. The other things I'd like to do is to broaden out the discussion away from the game and think about Leinster's season as a whole, what lessons we can take away from it. I want to talk myself a little bit, and perhaps Nathan will have some comments on this, about the way journalists, particularly in the UK, have covered the game last Saturday. And the, the final thing, if we get time, is that I want to draw any lessons, if there are any to be drawn, for Ireland's chances, prospects in the upcoming World Cup. So a big welcome to Nathan. Thanks for joining me again uh, on this. The game on Saturday, it was brutal. My first question for you is that the first half saw a lot of rugby played, particularly by Leinster, and everybody, of course, has written it up as one of the, if not the greatest club games of rugby of all time. That inevitably was as a result of the, you know, the colossal contest of the second half, the comeback by La Rochelle, the one point difference at the end, critical decisions and all the rest of it. 
But I want to start by asking you about that second half, where Leinster were essentially out-monstered by the very big chaps on the La Rochelle side, and ask if you could possibly imagine being a neutral, not caught up in the excitement of the game, a, a, a rugby aficionado looking for uh, rugby skills being played. I would have thought that second half would have been quite dull, actually. Or is that um, a, a rather controversial statement? I think in finals rugby, like how, how often do you see in any sport finals are dull in and of themselves just because teams are cagey, teams, don't, teams once it gets to a final, the instinct is to not make mistakes rather than go out and and grab games while they scruff for the neck, which Leinster did in the first half. They, they definitely, as you said, they you know they showed lots of intent and, and lots of ingenuity with their strike players, etc. I think you know Larshall were always going to get their way into the game by by grinding Leinster down, by forcing them to to make mistakes and and and, and keep the ball in close proximity back their 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 large runners and force breakdown penalties and get into the twenty two and maul them over. I personally don't necessarily think that's overly boring. I think the physicality of those exchanges throughout the match, but especially when Leinster were, you know, for 25 minutes defended almost heroically, um, was fascinating. And, you know, like you said, so often finals can be just incredibly dull kicking vests or, you know, in football, World Cup finals, you always see nil-nils, they go to penalty shootouts, similarly. Like the last time Leinster won a final, for example, in Bilbao, um, I don't think they scored a try, did they? It was, you know, they were relying on Easter to see we're kicking them to victory, that type of thing. The finals can so often be very cagey, and I think this wasn't cagey because both sides played in the way that they do play. Um, Lancer used their strike plays initially, and and La Rochelle kind of used their their larger runners and necessary and kept the ball quite quite tight, but you know had their game plan and stuck to it. So I think. It was a clash of styles, a little bit, not overly so. That point can be overplayed a little bit because at the end of the day, everybody has some sort of physical style in rugby. It's a physical game. Um, so I think for all those reasons, it was enthralling and you just did feel like Leinster were just hanging on and clinging on. And, you know, the decision making and execution, but as I'm sure we're going to get into in that second half, added to that. And I think that kind of just desperation clinging on to something, it certainly, I thought, made it enthralling as a neutral I don't know. I thought that there the sense of jeopardy was there throughout, to be honest, um, and there was a sense of inevitability about it, and I think that all created a lot of drama. Yes, it didn't lead to some of the free flowing scores of the first half, but you go through so many finals without any of those, let alone two or three in, in one half. So I, I don't think that as, as a whole, the spectacle can be labelled as dull. I thought the way Leinster played in the first half of the first half was proper rugby, um, but maybe I'm old fashioned and maybe I don't know much about as much about modern rugby as I should. But an, an obvious question for me was um, why couldn't Leinster sustain that style of uh, attacking play um, when La Rochelle really looked as if they were on the verge of a bit of panic, it seemed to me. How come that just, is it just impossible in the modern game to sustain that for a, a full half, let alone a full game? Or is that is is that something that Leinster need to work on? Well, I mean, the key thing of that is you need the ball, right? And the one thing that La Rochelle did for the final 45, 50 minutes of the game was they kept the ball away from Leinster really you know, excellently. And I think they knew that if they, with their size profile, Leinster were going to struggle to get in over the ball and win turnovers. Um, and then when Leinster did manage to win some turnovers, like almost heroically, there was one from, you know, uh, there was a hit from Dan Sheehan in that second half that absolutely obliterated one of La Rochelle's larger individuals in, in Lovani Bottia. And Henshaw comes in and the ball is there for him, but his hands are on the floor and he, and he, and he gets penalised. You know, small margins like that. Leinster kind of had those big moments where they could get the ball back and, and do something with it, but coughed it up almost immediately. The, the kicking game, when they turned the ball over in their own 22 and looked to click it clear, was poor. 
Um, Gibson Park and James Lowe both put the ball out in the full a number on a number of occasions. There was a number of was another time where there was a quick, quick turnover. I think Van der Flea around it, and James Lowe has the ball in the backfield, and there's absolutely nobody home for La Rochelle, and all he has to do is. Uh, launch the ball downfield and even if it doesn't you know first of all there was a 50-22 on possibly and second of all if he doesn't get that at least there's a kick chase that's going to pressurize whoever's running back for La Rochelle and potential turnover but he slices the ball out again so execution of of kicking strategy was was, was poor I thought they a lot of people are saying they kicked too much and should have played more when they did have the ball by and large I think a lot of the decision making when they kicked was, was good there was space in the backfield after quick turnovers like we mentioned it was just poor execution um, and they kept giving La Rochelle lineouts inside their own half which is a recipe for disaster given given their mall strength um, and yeah you, if, you, if you wanted to you could say maybe a little bit more leadership and a little bit of more decision making to go right well if we turn the ball over here we'll run for two or three phases and see if we can catch them you know on the counter-attack or something and but I think at the same time that level of thinking and, and possibly ability to do that was, was diminished by having to make the amount of tackles that they did over double the number La Rochelle did 183 tackles made by Leinster to 73 and everyone always knows it's it's much more energy sapping to defend rather than attack so it's very very difficult to ask people to execute perfect clearing kicking strategies or to counterattack from deep when they were under that level of pressure that they were which is again a credit to La Rochelle they, they play keep ball and which is what you do against Leinster in Ireland you, you keep the ball away from them because that's when they're dangerous they're not necessarily good at they're not one of those, you know, if you remember, think back to the Warren Gatland Welsh teams of, of the 2000s that did so well, they were more than happy to play without the ball and defend and back themselves and, and eke out a penalty. That's not really Leinster and Ireland's style. They, they need the ball. They need to be attacking and creative. And then when they did have it, they either kicked poorly or didn't show the decision-making and probably didn't have the, the capacity um, to do anything with it, given the defensive workload. Those kicks that went out on the full, uh, the exit strategy, as you called it, and I've seen several columns across various publications, including your own, the Irish Times, talking about poor execution, um, poor exit strategies. And they were just sliced kicks, really, as you, as you said. And it wasn't decision-making, which I think is the key point to make here, as I understand what you're saying. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was just the fact that um, too many kicks just went out on the full, were sliced off the, the side of the boot rather than the full of the boot. And that strikes me as being one of those things, maybe a function of nerves, maybe a function of all the pressure that they were under. Um, but it wasn't a fault of execution. Is that the right way to talk about that? Yeah, 100% execution is the way to go. And look, you, you look at what Leinster did when they did kick and by and large, they kicked reasonably well. They made double the amount of territory from their kicking game that La Rochelle made. Obviously, that tells you that La Rochelle didn't necessarily go to the boot anywhere near as often. La Rochelle coaches after the game said they were a little bit surprised by how much Leinster did kick. And it worked really well, particularly in that first half. They managed to, they won the territorial battle. They had plenty of uh, set plays inside the La Rochelle half and their speed of and accuracy blew them away. And they got three excellent tries from it. Um, so it was executed brilliantly early on. Second half, just there were three or four occasions it wasn't. There was one occasion when it was. I think it was a Ross Byrne high ball. Jimmy O'Brien goes up in the air and he's penalised for taking out Raymond Rule in the air, which I thought was very harsh. I thought, you know, he had made a decent attempt at the ball. And, you know, that would have been a turnover ball, Leinster, inside the 20, La Rochelle 22. And we saw when they did eventually get into the 22 in the last 10 minutes, there was at least a threat. I don't think they looked like scoring necessarily. But there was a there was a significant threat. So yeah, so as we saw, that was just one well executed kick from Leinster in the second half, and it could have easily have led to a match winning situation. So you combine that with the three or four inside their own half from Messrs Gibson Park and, and Lowe in particular, and and those had significant effects on the game. You mentioned Ross Byrne there, and I saw an article by Jerry Thornley 
in the Irish Times, I think it was today, discussing Byrne's contribution. He came in for a lot of stick from Stuart Barnes in the London Times uh, over the weekend, very unfairly, I thought. And I'll come back to Barnes's contribution, if I can dignify it with that word, in a moment. But attention has focused on the fly half and the inevitable question to which there can never be any kind of decent answer, would the presence of Sexton made a difference? Um, I don't know if you have a view. I suspect it's probably the same as mine, is that you just don't know. Well, absolutely. I mean, Johnny Sexton would have made a difference on that game because he's Johnny Sexton, right? Would Leinster have necessarily won the game with Johnny Sexton? You don't know. I mean, the one thing that Ross Byrne, he's, he's, he's divided opinion on the way he, ha- he manages games and his running and his distribution and his ability to hit, to, to hit gaps, etc. Um, or put players through gaps, I should say. But the one thing he's always been elite at is his goal kicking. And he missed two conversions and Leinster won by one, lost by one point. So there's, there's that, that I, mean, I don't you don't want to kick a guy when he's down, but that's a bit, that's a base, a, a fact. They, they were two but, tough kicks though from the but he's, line, but, but he's been, but he's, and, and the thing is you don't necessarily want to criticize him because he's had match winning kicks in European rugby for Leinster before. You think back to the big Ulster quarter final in 20, 20, 2019, I think it was, um, he nails a penalty in the Viva to win a game. So he, he's had massive match, but you know, that's a fact is that he's an elite goal kicker as has been, throughout his career despite criticisms on all the other aspects of his game and he and he left at least four points out there and um, so that's that, you know at tight margins but equally Ross you know a lot of people are making the point that when they lost to Munster last week um, Jack Crowley the young up and coming out half down there who, who could easily who probably will go to the World Cup as, as either his third or second choice depending on how he goes in Ireland camp he dropped back early in the early in a, in a set plays with two or three minutes still on the clock and knocked over the winning drop goal he just took it up on himself took the game by the scruff of the neck and, and slotted it and there, people were making the argument that you know Leinster had a couple of phases just outside the La Rochelle 22 in a central position that yes there were two minutes still on the clock so La Rochelle would have had time to come back up the pitch but a lot of people were arguing that would have been the time to strike for Ross Byrne just to take it upon himself drop back and, and do what Crowley did and 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 slot the goal. Now that's a valid argument, but equally two phases later, Leinster break down the left, and Charlie Natheis nearly scores in the corner. They get held up to short, and there's a brilliant moment there where Ryan Baird is one on one in the on the blind side with the Larachelle at half, who for the whole game had been defending in the lineout because they don't didn't put him at first receiver. They didn't trust him as a defender. So you've got Ryan Baird, who's built like you know you know built like Ryan Baird running against a defensively poor out half on the blind side and Leinster don't get the ball out of that ruck to him Will Skelton just it causes an absolute nuisance of himself legally or illegally depending on who you ask and the ball doesn't get to Baird Baird has to go in and clean it out and the chance is gone you know so that came from should Ross Byrne have slotted back to take a, take a drop goal oh no hang on they've made a line break through Nata oh hang on there's a really good opportunity for Baird in the corner and they don't get the ball to him you know they get the ball to him there Baird absolutely scores Leinster win by six points Nobody's talking about Ross Byrne, so that I think that's why it's fair unfair to talk about Ross Byrne in, in such a sweeping, generalising sense because Leinster had multiple opportunities to win that game as much as they were dominated in that second half. They still should have come away. They will see that they should have come away with with the result. But equally, you can say Ross Byrne missed two conversions in a one point game and didn't necessarily take it upon himself to take back to to slot back and and do what Crowley did last week. So I think all those points are valid, and the point is that. To, to centre it solely on Byrne is, is harsh, but equally there were other aspects of that game. You can look, you can say, should he have taken control of Leinster's kicking strategy that was so poor in the second half? Um, should he, as the out half, have changed the kicking strategy to running a little bit more? Again, all arguments you can be made. Uh, you can, that, that can be made, but equally, even with all those deficiencies, if you want to call them that, if that's the side of the argument you come down, Leinster had opportunities separate from Ross Byrne to win that game. That's fair. I mean, it's beyond cliche to talk about the referee. But you and I know Jacob Piper from many games of old. 
Uh, I thought that he made a series of very poor decisions. Both sides actually could have cause for complaint about his decision making. And we can go into various uh, aspects or indeed examples of the poor decisions that he made. I think Leinster did come out worse from his decision making. But uh, it can, why is refereeing still in top flight rugby so inconsistent? I think focusing on the referee in this particular match is completely futile. I don't think they had any effect on the result, to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's an easy, lazy way of doing things. I think in these types of games that are so high octane, so emotionally charged, the physicality goes up. It's impossible to, it's again, cliched, but rugby has gone so much the way of the breakdown is impossible. I mean, La Rochelle can continually commit illegal bodies in the breakdown and Leinster get them out of there illegally. Uh, Leinster, you know, Leinster go flying in through the side, off their feet, dangerous clear outs. You saw what happened to the Red, Alatoa red card, the one that they did get penalised. Uh, equally, you know, La Rochelle kind of have a throw enough shit at the wall and, and see if it'll stick tactic in the breakdown, which is they throw three or four bodies in there two of them might be illegal but one of them is legal and that's the one the referee's going to see first and, and you know you might get pinged three or four times but that one time you do get the penalty is worth it because of all the pressure it relieves um, and Leicester recognised that because they were forced to commit f- a lot more bodies than they normally do in the breakdown and uh, they did so illegally frequently throughout the match as did La Rochelle both defensively and attackingly so these high octane games when there's massive bodies flying around at speeds that they don't fly around at normally in the breakdown it's impossible and it did, that's, this is what the World Cup is going to be like by the way but just even more amplified those quarterfinals and semifinals that Ireland are hoping to be in are, are going to be exactly the same and it's going to take you know no referee is going to come out of that unscathed and that's just the way the game is at the minute um, when you've got men of this size in these high octane games um, and referees are looking for one or two pictures that are positive to reward that's just the way it goes you're going to get away with a lot and that's uh, rugby's always been like that to an extent but I think the way the breakdown is it's a lot more physical and it's a contest of um bodies flying into bodies in prone positions rather than you rucking as it used to be 20 years ago so it's a lot more noticeable so i don't i didn't necessarily think there were any, any overly egregious decisions i think both sides got away with a lot at the breakdown and you know as long as if that's the only really quip you can say that the la Rochelle yellow should have been red for the high tackle but it was in the last 10 minutes so it didn't matter anyway um so as long as the quip is really only around that there was, I don't know. I didn't think there was any individual game-changing decisions, a la Freddie Stewart against Ireland in the in the Six Nations. So as a result, I, I think I don't. I think looking at the referee too much is is kind of futile and lazy. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you sum up Leinster's season? How would you say... What could, is there much that they could take from yet another trophyless season, or is it just as 
uh, as Cullen said uh, many, many times, fine margins, and we go again next season. Yeah, it was incredibly fine margins. They've lost by a point, and for the second time in, in two years, they've lost through a last-minute score. I mean, they've learned what they learned last year, which is that they don't have the depth to come on and change games against a side like La Rochelle. Like I've, I said it all along, La Rochelle should have been favourites for that match. They're not necessarily a better side than Leinster. They play a different rugby, um, but they have a superior size profile and a superior size profile coming off the bench. Like The guy who scored that try, George Henry Colombe, is like 130 kilos and six foot two. And Leinster have Michael Alalatoa, who's a good few inches shorter than that and maybe 10 kilos lighter. Uh, that's a rough estimate. I need to I have I need to double check. But you you take my point. And to be honest with you, like James Ryan comes off injured after half an hour in that match. I think if James Ryan plays eighty minutes, Lens to win that because he's the best attacking rucker in the world. I think um, in terms of his ability to get bodies out of the way, and that is huge against La Rochelle, as we just talked about with the breakdown. You know, and, and when he went off, he made a he made a dominant tackle on I think it was Botia or was, anyway, but it was one of La Rochelle's powerful strike runners. I um, can't remember exactly who. And he hit him and nailed him back, and that wasn't what did it. It was when he fell on the ground, he hit his head on the ground, and, and, he, and he's, that's him, that's his HIA. So it was really an unfortunate. And he made three dominant tackles in the game. He played 29 minutes, and he still made more dominant tackles than anyone else. So you remember, like, James Ryan didn't go on a Lions tour because Warren Gatland thought he wasn't physically powerful enough as a second row. And here he is, and he's got the, he's got, he was the joint leader of dominant tackles in the competition this year, and he had more in half an hour in the final than anyone else in the game. That's a massive influence. You know, that's a powerful influence that Leinster missed in the last fifty minutes of the game. And equally, when their own, when they did hold on to the ball, you know, they they would have had quicker ball because he was on the pitch. So that's again a fine margin. And Leinster didn't. And you know, Jason Jenkins is a good, good, powerful mall option, and he probably as, as dominant as Larishaw's mall was. He probably limited some of that damage even further because they didn't actually score from a mall. But he's not James Ryan, you know. Uh, he's a very different player and, and La Rochelle just had you know they had someone like Alton Deland coming on who's a very powerful dynamic athlete um, off the bench in their second row slash back row so I think Leinster learned that yeah, you know they, they, they're more than capable of competing with La Rochelle but they need to put them out of sight with 10-15 minutes to go um, just because of the size profile of that um, of that, pack, of that uh, replacement bench that Leinster just couldn't match I want to quickly touch on the journalistic contribution last week to the, shall I say, hagiography, if if that's a word that I can use, of Ronan O'Gara. Um, some of it was in your paper. Other, other papers did the same thing. And profiles of O'Gara paint him as this saintly, uh, best coach in the world, nice Irish guy uh, type person creating a family, community-centered rugby club. Um, that's quite a picture of a man that uh, I've met, actually. He wouldn't remember it. It's not, it's not my memory of him, and I was struck by a number of things. But the one thing in particular that I, I saw quoted a lot, because O'Gara says it about himself, is that he doesn't play mind games. He's not that sort of, pl- that sort of bloke. I mean, what do you think of that remark, Nathan? Do you agree with it? Yeah, well, that's bullshit. Everyone plays mind games. I mean, the whole Greg Aldrich, James Ryan didn't look me in the eye at the coin toss when there's pictures of him looking him in the eye and then he says the translator comes out and says oh no we meant to say he eyeballed me instead like that's just that that sport though elite sport is looking for an edge to because you need to not you know there's something about i don't know if it's necessarily a male, male thing but there's something about elite sport athletes who need to dislike their opponent a lot of them to to beat them i mean there's the famous line from michael jordan when he did his documentary during covid where he made up the fact that a player said something to him just to enthuse himself and, and psych himself up so he could you know beat the living daylights out of him in a basketball sense not in a physical sense and he did um, got a lot of athletes need to be slighted to be 
to go to that next level. And I think Ogara recognizes that and he plays into that a little bit. Um, but equally, I think, you know, he can be, he has certainly fostered a culture at La Rochelle where all the players love to be there. Their families love, are very heavily involved in the club. Um, and everyone is very happy, it seems, at that club. While you can also be ruthless and very clever with how you manipulate opposition and manipulate your own players, um, like he did with necessarily, I'm not going to say he manipulated his captain to say those things, but, you know, he plays into that. And, you know, he's 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 a competitive man. And when he's a competitive man, he, he has a switch. He has a red, the red mist. You know, he sees red, the, all those cliches, so to speak. I mean, last year, allegedly, he got, he, he went down to Wayne Barnes, the referee, at the final at halftime to give out to him bad decisions. I mean, to have the self-belief and in thinking that you're that important, that you have the right to accost an official during the break, is remarkable. Um, and this year, apparently, according to Jerry Thornley, Leinster put Sean O'Brien next to the referees changing him to make sure Rod didn't do that this time. And it led to the infamous altercation that people are talking about where Sexton was involved as well. But that that... That's a mind game. You were the, the reason you were going down there to speak to the referees because you have something that needs to be said and you want to influence him or her in some way. Um, so to say he doesn't play mind games is I'm not going to say he's being misleading. He probably just thinks it's all what he's doing is all part and parcel of it, and he doesn't necessarily go out of his way. But the thing is, he's a competitive beast, and, and but I think you can be someone who who fosters a family environment for your players while also being a ruthless competitor that does what whatever it can, whatever you need to to win, and sometimes that involves accosting referees at half time which shouldn't be the case it shouldn't be allowed I'm sure somebody will get in trouble for it like let's not forget he had I think it was a 10 match touchline ban in France this year it was it was a significant touchline ban because in France the coaches coach on the touchline not on the stance nobody ever knew why it never came out what he actually did or said to someone and for a 10 game ban and for it to be so hush hush that nobody leaks it at all because it's you know in theory it's very damaging to him I mean He's, 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 he's like I said he sees red he's got it in him that he can get furious and he can say things that you know uh, get him get him significant bans uh, so yes he can be this angelic very good coach who looks after his own players while also being a ruthless bloody minded competitor and I think that's why a lot of people respect him but he clearly does take it too far on occasion and the next Irish coach it sounds like it I, I, I think he should be uh, I think he, the way he coaches his side and has them mentally prepared is very impressive. I think only Andy Farrell in World Rugby rivals that at the minute, um, which is, I'm sure this is a topic you want to get onto, which is why I'm not necessarily overly concerned about what this result means for for Ireland at the World Cup is because of the likes of Farrell. But, um, well, let, let's get into that in the time that we have available to us, which is, that, that again, going back to that Stuart Barnes column that I mentioned early on, he and lots of other British stroke English writers in in the UK press took took this result with a lot of glee, shall we say, uh, for all sorts of reasons, I suspect. But their stated reason why they were so pleased with the result was that it means that no, other teams no longer need to be afraid of Ireland, that Ireland are beatable. Um, that's the direct read across that they took from this match. Um, more beatable than the Grand Slam perhaps suggests that they are. Barnes was gracious enough I suppose, to um, admit that the level of rugby that was played on Saturday, in his words, were two or three times higher, levels higher than anything that you see in the Premiership, which uh, was almost a throwaway remark, but I would have thought he should have majored in his column on that because that's the gap between these two countries and the rest, I suspect, the rest of Europe anyway. Um, but do you think that it has any uh, read across to Ireland's World Cup prospects? Well, well no, because... 
the entire narrative coming out of the Ireland camp is that Andy Farrell has fostered a culture where, you know, setbacks, things don't matter. They don't put themselves under any unnecessary pressure. Now, they're still in a highly pressurised environment of elite sport and it'll only go up at a World Cup setting. But they embrace that when they put on the green of Ireland. And equally, I mean, it, make, it makes a difference. Guys like Peter O'Mahony, Ty Byrne, like they, there's a, the, the Munster players or, or other provincial players that come into that side, you know, they, they do bring an extra edge and, you know, they make the side better um, in terms of, you know, Ireland is, is probably, you know, Ireland's a better side than Leinster at the risk of, you know, stating the obvious. So there's that, the per, you know, there's extra personnel to come in, there's extra depth to come in per se in the Ireland squad. That If you look at, if you want to look at this as an Ireland versus France thing, the Ireland versus France issue is much more relevant when, Ireland, when Leinster played Toulouse, for example. I mean, Toulouse are the bulk, bulk suppliers of the French side, not La Rochelle. I mean, La Rochelle have three or four players, so they've got uh, Dante, Aldrit, uh, Antonio, off the top of my head. You know, th- those are very important players to the French cause, but, you know, the guys I think tip over La Rochelle over the edge in terms of these games at Leinster are, are not French qualified for me. The likes of Will Skelton, uh, Levani Bottia, Tawira, even Tawira Curbarlo, their scrum half, who, who was Sinbind, but he's arguably their most important player. And um, so there's that aspect to it. And equally, in the Leinster environment, those guys are in that environment. And this kind of goes back to your previous question about the successful season. Or not. They're in that environment all year with one goal. And that is one goal. And, that, and that's been their goal, you know, ever since they became a decent side in 2009. And that's to win Europe. Whereas with Ireland, they kind of, you go away. And yes, there's the pressure of making a quarter, of making it past the quarterfinal. But they don't live in that environment day on day, year on year necessarily so I don't think it's you know they don't spend as much time fixated on that as they would do with the Leinster environment and you know this is creating a narrative out of nothing but it, it does seem like Ireland with Farrell and Gary Keegan their like, sports psych guy they do, they do seem pretty good at, at getting these players mentally in the right place um, now Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster I'm not saying they're not as good but you know if you wanted to create a narrative which I think is you could probably read a little bit too much into it but it's worth asking the question you know do these guys are these guys better prepared mentally and better able to deal with pressure when they put on a green jersey than when they put on a blue one? So for all these reasons, I don't necessarily look at this as a major uh, blow to Ireland's World Cup chances. Now, there's still every single chance they come up against a resurgent French or New Zealand side in a quarterfinal in, in October, November and lose. And that would not be a failure because France at home and nobody really knows what New Zealand are doing because we haven't seen them play in months. But anyway, it's another conversation. Uh, so no, I think for reasons like that, such as, you know, this is the Toulouse, Toulouse bulk supply, France, not La Rochelle, withstanding their three or four excellent players that do play for France, uh, Farrell's Ireland environment mentally, and the fact that, you know, they're not in that Irish pressurised environment for as, as much as they are in the, the Leinster one, I think, or I don't know, I, I back the, the Irish setup to make sure that this isn't uh, a fatal blow. OK, final question for you, put you on the spot, how far will they get in the World Cup? Oh, that's absurd because you don't know who's going to be. You know, that's 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 what six six months down the line or something. Uh, you don't know who's going to be fit. You don't know who's going to be playing well. You don't know what form is going to be like. I mean, yeah, they they should they should you know in theory they're good enough to to get to a semi final and then who knows what happens from there. As you said, it's, it was an absurd question. I put my hands up and, and uh, admit that. But I guess I guess I, I guess my point was though just to, to, to reiterate I actually I genuinely think that this La Rochelle side is is better equipped to be able to de- defeat Leinster and de facto Ireland than a French side is. I really believe that based on personnel and based on who they have in charge. Now France still could beat Ireland in a quarter final because they're playing at home and they should be favourites and they should beat Ireland at home in a quarter final. But I think on paper, you know, this La Rochelle side is the best rugby side in terms of how they're set up to beat an Irish team. 
that there has been in, in, a, in a hell of a long time, probably since the Toulon side of that went three in a row so many years ago. Thanks a lot, Nathan, as always. Um, I very much enjoy doing these things and have been gratified by the feedback that we get from doing them because um, with honourable exceptions, no doubt to your own newspaper, but certainly the stuff I've read in the British newspapers about this match over the weekend um, basically expended 1,200 words saying, gee whiz, what, a, what an exciting game, and didn't actually talk about the rugby in any meaningful way. So this is a great opportunity to do that. Thanks again, and no doubt we shall be having other conversations as the, the next season gets underway. Between now and then, we may even talk a little bit about cricket. Cheers, mate. Thank you. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. 